0: Well, thanks, ladies. Uh, good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, as we continue our study in the book of Malachi today, um, we've been looking over the last number of weeks at, at how this book is a kind of wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to leaders. It's a wake-up call uh, to those in marriage. It's a wake-up call to any who are manipulating or abusing people. Today, uh, we're going to see a wake-up call related to money. Related to money and uh, And so, I wanted actually um, on the front end, give you some really good news and uh, just kind of we not only are we talking today about money, but we actually just closed our two thousand and nineteen financial year, so I want to give you a little bit of an update on that before we dive into this passage. And so there's some really cool things uh, to share with you. So uh, our budgeted need for last year, as we kind of look at all the ministry and all the different things we do, was $2.7 million. Um, we take that really seriously as a team of staff and as a team of uh, volunteers who help manage a lot of that budget. And so when we look at what we actually spent, you know, we budgeted to spend $2.7 million. We actually spent just a little bit less than that, just uh, about 1% less uh, than that. So I, I li- always like to say, what if your federal government could do that, right? I mean, that's, that's, just, uh, but that's just a good stewardship principle is that you should spend less than you make. That's a good way to do things. So we, we did that, and I'm really proud of our team for that. Um, what makes us even better is that last uh, year, the actual general giving was over $2.9 million. So you all gave uh, plenty above that amount, which is really cool. Thank you. Uh, That leaves us with a surplus from last year of about $240,000, which is really great. Just so you know how that happens is uh, Redemption Gateway, uh, we keep 70% of that surplus. The other 30% we put into a reserve account that helps all the different congregations in Redemption uh, with future and with different things. So over the years, actually, when we bought this land and when we built this property, we were able to do that because of that reserve account. And so it kind of pays it forward for some of the other congregations that are part of of our family. So that's that's kind of what happens there. Uh, when you take all of that giving plus Christmas offering plus Home Away From Home, which was our building account and that sort of thing, you all gave last year. This is incredible. Over three point four million dollars. Wow! Thank you. That. That is incredible, and I just actually got some very cool news about that, is because of how you all gave over and above what we had needed, or at least thought we needed for the Home Way From Home, the building project, we actually were able to save $400,000 on our mortgage, so we didn't have to borrow that money, which means we'll be able to pay all that stuff off just uh, even sooner. So, so thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to take some time and not just thank you, but I want to actually thank the Lord uh, for his provision as well. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for how you provide for us. Even as this passage here declares, uh, everything we have belongs to you. And so God, thank you for the way you entrust your people with resources and you allow us to steward it. And God, thank you for so many who steward it faithfully and who give generously. God, thank you for providing our church what we've needed over this past year. And we pray that that would continue. Uh, We want to see people meet you and know you and follow you and have all of their life transformed by the gospel. So thank you for the resources that that takes and for the way you provide that. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, uh, headed into this year, our budget for this year is going to be $3 million. And if you're interested in kind of the breakdown of how that works, we actually have some half sheets out at the info desk where you can kind of take a look at that budget and how that is broken down and that sort of thing if that's the kind of thing that interests you. Well, with that good news behind us got some hard news from the book of Malachi, and it feels like that's what this whole book has been, isn't it? I mean, it's just, God is just kind of not letting the people of God off of the mat, right? Just when they think they're about to get up, he says, hey, I got one more thing. Uh, Because this is a people who has kind of drifted into half-heartedness and into hypocrisy. And so God's been confronting them on a lot of different areas that need attention. And get this, God confronts us not to make us feel bad, God confronts us because he loves us. If you remember, the very first line of this book was verse two, I have loved you, declares the Lord. When God confronts us, when God challenges us, it's because he loves us, it's because he wants to grow us, it's because he wants us to flourish and be blessed. And so that's what this is about today. And so the the specific half-heartedness and hypocrisy that God is confronting in this passage today is related to money. You know, I don't know if this is a true story, if this is just a preacher story, but legend has it that uh, crusaders uh, in the Middle Ages were sometimes, uh, when they were baptized, sometimes baptized uh, where their whole body went under the water, but their sword remained out of the water. They'd go baptized, you know, get, get down, but their arm with their sword would, would stay up as a way to say, hey, I'm baptized, but I can still fight and kill. Now, I don't know if that's true. But it does seem like many Christians today could be baptized with their wallets in the air. Say, God, I want all of, all of me, but not that part. And even if you're feeling a little uncomfortable already, like I knew it, I knew they were gonna talk about money. That's my one time to church, and here they are, they're talking about money. Uh, if that's you, welcome. We don't talk about this every week. Here's what we do, we open the scriptures and we go through it and we just teach what it says. And so today it has to do with that. And uh, today it has to do with this issue of, of tithing. Uh, the word tithe is a word that literally means a tenth. That's just all it means. It means to tenth. To tithe is to give a tenth. Uh, the other idea in the scripture is to give the first fruits. That the first tenth of anything we have just automatically belongs to God. That's the idea of, of a tithe. So a person can't tithe. A person can donate 4%. You can't tithe 4% because a tithe is a tenth. That's what we're looking at here in this passage today. L- look with me at uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse beginning in verse 6. God says for I the Lord do not change. Therefore you O children of Jacob are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Here's the invitation. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? God says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. We're going to see three things about tithing today. The first one is this, that tithing is right. It's right. It's right. It's right, it's obedient, it's appropriate for people who follow God to tithe, to give a tenth, to give that first fruits just straight off the top uh, of everything they have to God. That's right, that's appropriate, that is obedient. One of the things we know from scripture is that, uh, is that giving is a spiritual thermometer. What we give to the Lord is a spiritual thermometer. It, it kind of takes a reading of the level of our hearts. There's an interesting place in Luke chapter three where John the Baptist is preaching and he's calling people to repent. He says, uh, the kingdom of God is near, repent, repent, repent. And he says in verse eight of chapter three in Luke, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Listen, your life should show that you're repenting, that you're turning, that God has gotten your attention and the crowds begin to ask, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? What does it look like? And notice all of the answers he gives relate to money. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. One way you can tell that you have a heart of repentance is that you're generous. You share. You go, I have two. I'll give one away. We, we, we go, whoever has 27 tunics gives one away. You go, no, I got two. You can have one. It's a, It's generosity. Then tax collectors, the next verse says, came to him to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. That was one of the practices of tax collectors. They would just collect whatever they wanted and they could keep it. He says, that's not right. Soldiers also came and asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Interesting, John the Baptist, who's preparing the way for Jesus, says, repent, turn, change. They go, what does that look like? And he says, it looks like God actually getting a hold of your money. If I'm gonna baptize you with a baptism of repentance, the wallet goes down in it too. Jesus indicates this same thing later on in the Gospel of Luke. He encounters this guy named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and who was very corrupt. And he has dinner at Zacchaeus' house, and it says in the middle of that dinner that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Now get this, Jesus is not saying that Zacchaeus is saved because he's giving. He's saying he's giving, and that's evidence that he's saved. There's been a change because giving, what we do with our money, is a spiritual thermometer. It gauges, it gauges how hot we are in our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul teaches the same thing. This goes throughout the whole scripture. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now this, this verse needs a little bit more explanation perhaps, but this is such a beautiful verse. See, here is the gospel. Here's the, the grace, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus had everything. As the eternal son of God at the right hand of the father, he was rich, and yet for our sake, he became poor, born to a teenage mother in a barn, The son of a carpenter in a no-name city of Nazareth. There was nothing strikingly, materially wealthy about Jesus. The richest person ever became poor. And he became poor not just in his infancy, but throughout his whole life. He told people, he said, the foxes have places to lay their head, but the son of man, I don't even have a place to sleep. He was crucified naked. Without a possession to his name. Poor. The rich became poor. Put that, put that verse back up there if, if you would actually. Jesus became, became poor so that, for our sake, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, here's the gospel. Is Jesus gave up everything so that you could have Everything. This is not primarily saying that the riches that Jesus came to bring you are financial, it could include that, but it's to say you would have true riches in Christ, the riches of a relationship with God, the riches of forgiveness of sin, the riches of being set free from your guilt and your shame and your fear. That's true riches. Listen, you can have all the money in the world and be broke spiritually. And some of you have seen this when you've gone to other places. Some of you have lived this yourself. That sometimes the most financially broke people are the most spiritually rich. Why? Because of Jesus. See, that's the gospel. And so here's what happens when we believe the gospel, true riches become our relationship with God, and money becomes just money. Just money. So I can give it away, I can share it, I can spend it. It's just money. But instead of it just being this, instead of money being this God that I have to live for because this money gives me my control and it gives me my significance and it gives me my reputation and it gives me a sense of security, right? If if all of that is what money is, you will never let go of it. But if you have true riches, you'll go, oh, it's just money. Give it away. And here's what this passage back to Malachi says, that if we give... Less than 10%, we are robbing, stealing from God. Do you see that? I mean, the the word is mentioned four times. Verse eight, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You ever been robbed? You ever been, had house broken into or something stolen, something robbed from you? I remember um, a number of years ago, uh, we had gone on kind of a longer uh, vacation as part of the sabbatical that I had in 2015. And we were driving back from Colorado and we spent the night in Albuquerque and, um, And we didn't really know the kind of part of town we were booking a hotel in when we uh, booked the hotel. It was just close to the freeway. That should have been our first clue. And so uh, we booked a hotel. And and because we had been gone all summer, uh, we had a bike rack and we had all of our bikes uh, there on the back of the the, uh, van. And it was all locked up and it was very secure. And we had stayed in other places and it had been no big deal. And I remember I came down out of the hotel room into the parking lot, and the locks were cut and the bands were cut and all the bikes were gone. And there were signs all over the parking lot, the hotel is not responsible for stolen items. And so I went into the hotel lobby and I said, hey, I saw the sign. I'm not mad at you. It's not your fault. But just so you know, I had a bunch of bikes stolen. And they said, oh, we're so glad you're here because actually we we noticed in the middle of the night someone was doing a patrol and had seen all the bikes off of the thing and it turned out only one was stolen. So that was good. And it turned out actually the one they stole was the cheapest one, suckers. <laughs> they didn't know. But I tell you what, that whole drive home, we just felt so violated. Like that, that didn't belong to you that wasn't yours. You didn't have the right to take that. You went through a lot of work to take away something that was ours. If you've been robbed, you know that feeling. That's what God's saying. God's saying, you've robbed me. When you don't give me the first 10%, that tithe, that 10th, you're stealing from me, is what God says. How do we return to the Lord? We return to the Lord by giving that full 10% or more. But if you're not up to, that, uh, up to that spot, you're stealing from God, it says. And here's the thing, many Christians today are perfectly happy stealing from God. And then wondering, God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, where are you? All the things that the people in the book of Malachi have been asking God, where are you, where are you? And God's going, where are you? You're stealing from me. Return to me. Quit stealing. It's interesting that the tithe, that tenth, belongs to God. It's interesting when you look at the Old Testament, uh, the, the language is never used of giving a tithe. Because we don't give to God what's already his. The language instead that's used throughout it is bringing the tithe or taking the tithe or returning the tithe or paying a tithe. It's his. It belongs to him. This 10th, this 10% was designed in God's law to be a floor, not a ceiling. So it should be the starting point. It was the training wheels. Uh, the heart of the gospel would indicate that we would give much more than 10% over time. But this would be a place to start. So tithing, first of all, here is right. When we don't do it, we're stealing from God. But here's the second part. And this is really important for those of you here that are hearing this and going, oh, no. No. Why did I come today? I wanted to plead ignorance on this one. Why? Oh, now I gotta, okay, it's right. Here's the second thing. This is really key. Tithing is best. It's best. It's not just right, it's best. It's good. It's delightful. It's life-giving. It's joyful. This is the kind of thing that is good news. This is good news that we would trust God with a tenth of everything that we have. Look at what it says, beginning in verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. This, by the way, is the only spot in all of the Bible where God says, test me. Only spot. Test me. Put me to the test. I dare you, God says. That's the title of today's sermon. I dare you. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is a promise of blessing. Did you see it? Test me, see if I don't just open the windows, open the floodgates of heaven. Try me out, God says. Tithing is best because it opens God's hands of blessing to you. Maybe material, because that's part of this at least. Is the, f- the idea of fruitfulness in verse 11. But it might not just be material, it might also be that you grow in holiness That you grow in affection and love for people. It might be the kinds of things that the nations would be able to see and go, wow, you've changed, you've grown. God has clearly blessed you, not just financially, but in all these other ways. God says, listen, if, if you give back to me, see, I'm giving to you. If you give back to me, I'm gonna keep channeling blessing to you. But if it stops on you, The windows of my blessing might just stay shut. So let me ask you today are you the Sea of Galilee or are you the Dead Sea? Are you the Sea of Galilee when it comes to your resources or are you the Dead Sea? If you look at some pictures of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, I've been to both places actually, what you notice is that the Sea of Galilee, which has water that's melting from the mountains and then uh, gathers there in the Sea of Galilee and then comes out of the Sea of Galilee and and it, it gives that water to the Jordan River. And as a result, the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life and fish, and plants. It's bountiful, it's beautiful. That's the picture there on the left. It's green, it's lush, it's spectacular. Why? Because it receives water, and it doesn't just hold it, but it gives it too. And so more water just keeps coming, and it keeps it fresh, and it keeps it alive. On the other hand, you have the Dead Sea. In the Jordan River, it runs down south until it gets to the Dead Sea, and because the Dead Sea is below sea level, the water just pools. And there's no life in it. It's Just salt and minerals and sulfur. And it's neat as a tourist because you can float in it. But it, it looks like you're on the moon. If there was a lake on the moon. I mean, it just looks dead. Why? Because it just receives and receives and receives and it never gives. Let me ask you, are you the Sea of Galilee, or are you the Dead Sea? Listen, if you were God, who would you want to entrust more financial resources to? People who are gonna just pool it on themselves, or people who are gonna keep giving it away? That's what he's saying. Look at what it says in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. This same analogy is used. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, And only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. This is the principle. If we trust God, if we give freely, God keeps giving, and we keep giving, and God keeps giving, and we keep giving. And as soon as we stop that cycle, we begin to rob God. See, giving is not just a spiritual thermometer, it's also a spiritual thermostat. It sets the temperature of your faith. It's not just reacting as an indication of your faith, but it actually sets a new temperature, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. You give, you honor me, you trust me, your heart will trust me. Our hearts follow, our wallets, our money, our treasure. See, here's the statement that tithing makes. When we, when we give at least a 10th or more of our money, our first, the first fruits we, we return it back to God. Here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, I trust you to do more with 90% than I could do with 100%. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of dependence. It's a statement of reliance. It's a statement of trust. But if we hold back, we go, God, I don't know. God, I don't know if you'll provide. God, I don't know if I can make it. God, I don't know if I can trust you. Not only are we disobeying God, but we're, we're becoming the Sea of Galilee. And then we wonder, why do we have so little? Why are we so stuck? So here's the challenge that I want to issue here today on the basis of this verse. Because again, in verse 10, he says, put me to the test, this is a dare, this is a challenge. So here's the challenge that I wanna issue here today is I wanna issue a 90 day tithe challenge. To those of you who are not giving the full tithe, the full 10th, that full 10%, I wanna challenge you for the next 90 days, that's between now and Mother's Day is exactly where it turns out, May 10th. Between now and Mother's Day, I wanna challenge you to test God with your money to give a full tithe, a full tenth of your resources between now and Mother's Day and test God and just see, might he do this? See, see some of us, we're just not very intentional about our money. We don't really have a budget and we don't really have a plan or, or we wanna give but we go, yeah, I just, I, there's all these other things I gotta do first and so I, I don't know if I can get there. Here's the fact. Those who tend to give spontaneously tend to keep more spontaneously. Those who give intentionally tend to give more intentionally. So here's what you have. In your program there are these cards and uh, I'd love you to grab this. And uh, here's what we would love you to do is if you're willing to take this challenge uh, sometime between now and the end of uh, this sermon, go ahead and write your name On that card, uh, we'd love to collect just one per household. So if you're here with uh, someone else in your family and you guys are gonna do this together, um, then fill this out. Maybe you'll need some time after the service to kind of look at each other and go, are we in? Um, But uh, fill out uh, your name, uh, fill out the best email address that you have, And your mailing address, because we actually want to send you some stuff that will help you, that will bless you, that will be an encouragement to you in this process. Um, We'll follow up with you throughout this 90 days. Um, I'll be sending you resources. I'll be sending you uh, emails and encouragement and that sort of stuff. This is really important to know. I will not know what you're giving. Your giving will be between you and God and Neil Pitchell, who is the pastor of operations for Redemption Church. Okay, so I'm not gonna know. Um, I'm, I'll just know that you're participating and I'll encourage you and I'll send you stuff and I'll pray for you, but I won't know what you're giving. I don't know what you make. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't, that part doesn't matter that much to me. I just wanna encourage you. So if you uh, wanna be part of this tithe challenge, fill this out and before you leave today, drop it into the giving boxes that are back there uh, by the door. We'll send you resources, we'll send you help. Uh, but I want to challenge those of you who are not giving a full 10th Trust God. Test him. Take him up on his dare and see if he doesn't come through for you. See if he doesn't surprise you. See if he doesn't show up in some ways that you don't expect. 90 day tithe challenge. Now here's the last part as I just put myself in your shoes. is The last thing I want to make sure we say is that number three, tithing is hard until you commit to it. I think it's hard. This is difficult. I realize that some of you who are not really giving, some of you who are not, uh, you're, you're giving kind of more in a spontaneous way. And this just the idea that you would now get a 10% pay cut. was like, whoa. So I thought of a number of very common objections that I've uh, had from people as we've talked through this over the years. And the first one is this. Some people will say, maybe this is you, come on, that's ridiculous. 10%. Are you kidding? That is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. It is a lot of money. And I guess I would return that question by saying, what makes us think that parting with our money should be any harder than it was for Israel? Was it any easier for them? No. We got to challenge them to do it. Let me also ask you this question. If all of a sudden you found out that you got a 10% pay cut, would you die? Would you die? I don't know that anyone in here would. It would hurt. You'd have to change some things. You'd have to cancel some stuff. You'd have to make some new arrangements. But you'd survive it. So God's saying, give it to me. Trust me. Trust me, I'll take care of you. Trust me, I'm for you. Trust me, I love you. Here's the other thing I would say. It's all God's money. So isn't it kind of God to let us keep 90%? I mean, think about this. He could have said, give me half. And instead, we get to keep a lot of it. Second objection some of you will have is that you'll say, well, I'm in debt and I need to pay that off first. And I think that that is definitely a reason why many people uh, don't give more generously is because we uh, get uh, you know, stuck, the biblical word is enslaved into especially consumer related debt. And so here's what I wanna do for you is if, if this is your situation where you're saying, I really would like to do this, I would be all in, but I am like up to my eyeballs in debt or I just have some debts, I'm trying to get paid off first. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Don't take the tithe challenge Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up for our Financial Peace University class. It begins in just a couple weeks. It's $109, which is an investment in your future. If you're not willing to invest in that, then you just aren't gonna get out of this situation. You're never gonna change. And so take that class. The average household that goes through FPU pays off $5,300 of debt in 90 days. That's a pretty good investment on $109. So if that's you, if you're going, I'm just in debt, I can't do this, you know what? Hold off on the tithe challenge for now. Go through FBU first. And I bet at the end of that situation, you'll be much more in a position to be able to obey the Lord in this area. Now you might go, you know what? I just, I don't know if I'll ever get there. And so you do have to ask the question, well, how long are you gonna keep robbing God in order to pay people? Uh, third objection that maybe some of you have is, uh, uh, I know what this is. This is just a money grab by the church. This, I knew it. The church is just in this. And here's what I, here's what I want to tell you. You just saw our year in review. We're doing great. Many of you obey this, and you do this, and you give beyond this, and I'm so deeply thankful for that, and I hope today you can just feel encouraged and feel blessed, and, and you probably have an attitude that says, you know what, I'd love to give more uh, down the line, and, and so if that's you, do it. But, but we're fine as a church, we're doing well. There's enough people obeying this, and there's enough people uh, with spontaneity taking care of what we have. This is not about uh, what we need from you. This is rather about what we want for you. This is a path to blessing. This is a path to God opening the windows of heaven and saying, there's more of me available to you. I want that for you. This isn't about what we want from you. This is about what we want for you. That's why we're offering Financial Peace University. It's also why we're offering that estate planning seminar that Alessi talked about earlier. And I know some of you are like, I don't have an estate. That's how I felt when I heard about it, an estate planning seminar. Like, I live in a track home. Like, I don't have an estate. But, but here's, here's what I do know. I'm gonna die. Hopefully not soon, but at some point. And, and here's what happens. Everyone that goes through that estate planning seminar is going to have the opportunity to, this is a nonprofit organization that we're working with. There's no one working on any kind of commissions or sales pitches. But anyone that goes through that seminar is going to actually have the opportunity for free to establish a will or a living trust. That is like typically a three dollars to $5,000 cost. That's why a lot of us don't do it, right? You hear about rich people that have living trusts. It's because they have an extra few thousand dollars to do that. And if you don't, come to this seminar. We want your assets to be protected. We want you to be able to have more security for your family down the line. So this is not, we're, by the way, as a church, investing a lot of money to make that possible. This is not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. This isn't a money grab for us. Here's the fourth objection that maybe you have is this, is uh, you know, there's all this talk about tithing, and here we are in the Old Testament. You know, tithing, that you might say, is legalism. This is legalism. We're not under law. We're not under the Old Testament. We're under grace. We shouldn't be bound by this 10%. We're under grace. And the best answer that I've ever heard to that comes from Randy Alcorn. He has a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Here's what he says there. He says, I've heard Christians argue, often angrily, that tithing is legalism. However, the average American Christian Gives 2.5%. Even using 10% as a measure, the Israelites were four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average American Christian is to the grace of Christ. When we as New Testament believers living in a far more affluent society than ancient Israel give only a fraction of that given by the poorest Old Testament believers, we surely must reevaluate our concept of grace giving. And when you consider that we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God and they didn't, the contrast becomes even more glaring. If you fear legalism, fine, start at 11 or 12%. (laughs) That is spot on. This is the, not the ceiling. This is the floor. These are the training wheels because we are blessed by grace and so we give even more. Here's the last objection I know some of you have is some of you are sitting here and thinking, I've, I've tried to do this before. Like I feel like I have tried to test God and it doesn't feel like he's come through. I just can't afford to do this. Like I look at how much money comes in and I look at how much is committed to go out. I, the math just doesn't work. I can't do this. That's a conversation I actually had with somebody uh, who was a faithful person in our church. The very first time I taught this back in 2011, uh, this woman came to me and uh, said, you know what? I appreciate your, the passion of that sermon, but I just can't do this. Like, do you have any idea how hard this is? Like this, her analogy, she said, this feels like walking up to an obese person and saying, we'll just get skinny. And if you've ever tried to lose weight, you know that it isn't that easy. So that's what it feels like. She said, I do the math. I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I've tried to do this at different points and it just, it doesn't work out. And at that point I had, this was early in my, in my ministry as a pastor. I had, I had a really important choice. My choice was, am I going to say, you know what, you're right. You're probably the exception. Or was I going to stand on the authority of God's word and say, this is what it says. Trust him. And so I said, this is what it says. I know that's hard. And I don't delight in saying that to you, but but then I asked this question. I said, could it be that the reason why finances have always been so hard for you, why there's never been any freedom and there's never been any margin and there's never been any, any leftover, could, could it be because you've actually never fully trusted God in this area? Right. Could it be that you holding back just a little bit has, has, has kept those windows shut a little bit? And she said, all right, well, I'm going to do this. And so she had to rearrange some things. She had to cancel um, some TV subscriptions and she had to actually cancel her gym membership and she had to do a bunch of different things. And uh, about 100 days later, her and her family had my wife and I over for dinner and they just told us about all that had changed. So you know what, We, we had to cancel the gym and so I started running in the neighborhood and I lost like 20 pounds. And we canceled the TV thing, and so now our family is doing game nights together, and we've never felt this close. And we've been waiting uh, on kind of a foster care opportunity. We've gone through the training. We've just never been sent anybody, and we've just had that door open. She she said, we've had random checks arrive in the mail. She said, "I, I didn't believe you. But now I can take God at his word. And now, she's one of the most generous people I know in my whole life. Because she's seen this. See, here's the deal. God doesn't need your money. But he wants your heart. He wants it. Some of you, you're doing this. That's great. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep leaning into the Lord. Some of you, this is a wake-up call that you need. Take this tithe challenge. Trust God. If you get stuck, if you need help, we have lots of resources. We have lots of help. We have lots of opportunities to to help you do this. We're going to walk through this with you. But this is an opportunity where God wants your attention, He wants you to return. He wants you to trust Him. So lean in. He dares you. Let's pray. Father, you do take such good care of your people. You provide for us, and you've provided us especially with true riches in Christ. God, because of Christ, we have you. We have access to you. We have forgiveness from you. We have blessing from you. And so God, would you uh, use this 90-day tithe challenge to grow us? God, would you not only provide for our physical needs and our financial needs, but God, would you also grow us over these 90 days in holiness, in obedience, in love, in patience, in kindness? God, would you grow and improve our parenting and our marriages and our work? God, would we experience your blessing in a host of ways as you open the windows? God, we can't buy you off. You don't owe us anything. But you give generously. And so, God, we thank you. And we return to you what's yours. In Christ's name, amen.